Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Making a Points Millionaire podcast. Your number one, totally free and ad-free, <laughs> annual once-a-year podcast <laughs> about travel and points. No, we're going to do better this year. Are we? Did we say that last year? Yeah, I, I'm 100% we said that last year. <laughs> uh, I am, of course, Harold James Preller, joined, as always, by Mrs. H.J. Hello. We felt the un believable call to discuss travel today <laughs> six months after we took a trip <laughs> yeah no we've taken many trips there's been a true, lot of true. travel but in the, the main one we're going to talk about was at least six months yeah, ago it was quite a while ago uh but uh you know the points world is changing everyone is traveling uh right now air- air- airplanes are, are going out at 100 percent capacity for every single plane um it's it's like a crazy travel environment where everyone is doing revenge travel from the pandemic, catching up on... You think it's still that? I think a lot of people saved a lot of money or made credit card points. Mm-hmm. or, or it, it, There's like Could a be. lot of things. We'll talk about it later in the episode, but there's a lot of factors. There's less planes going out. Routes have been cut. And yeah, so, I think that's more what it is. It's a lot of it, but uh, there's definitely a demand. Sure. I, I think I'd, I'd read that like American visitors to Europe had never been higher than this past summer. Um, there's like crazy occupancies in Mexico and Dominican Republic and all, all across like the biggest tourism destinations. It's been crazy. Um, I mean, we saw that too on our trips. It was very busy at, yeah, at the places sure. we went to. Um, and so I guess for us, the highlight, uh, we can talk about what's happened. Has anything happened in the last year? Has it been, is that why we didn't podcast? Nothing happened? Is that, <laughs> is that right? Just parenting. <laughs> Just parenting. Uh, we might have brought it up in the last episode a, a year ago, uh, but we were in the depths of planning a big family trip to Japan. Uh, it was a big undertaking for planning. Uh, it was very much only happened because of points and miles, uh, but it was very daunting because we were traveling with a, at the time, like 16-month-old. F- yeah. With a lot of energy. A lot of a energy. inability to sit still. Yes. Uh, no willingness to sleep on command. Um, <laughs> Unwillingness to watch TV, too. Yes. It cannot put a tablet in front of him. Does not want it. Finds it annoying, actually. Yes. So, the idea of an uh, 11 to 12 hour flight was terrifying. Yes. Um, just for details on that trip, as background, we were flying from, from Los Angeles to Tokyo. Direct. Uh, the trip was going to be 10 days. Um, and so there's a lot to plan there. How do we get there? How do we get a family of four out there on points? Preferably in a comfortable manner that won't be a disaster with a with a one-and-a-half-year-old. Um, where do we stay? Tokyo is an expensive city. Japan in general is, is relatively, well, uh, hotels can be expensive. Yes. Um, what do we do? Um <laughs> Are there backup plans in case everything goes bad? How do we adjust to the time zone? How are we going to move from Tokyo to Osaka or, or yeah. around the country? How do we there's... deal with a jet lag baby? <laughs> How do we deal with a jet lag parent? <laughs> like, there's all kinds of questions, right? Mm-hmm. And so this trip took months and months of planning. How do we get through customs? What are the COVID requirements? Right. Uh, yeah, that was still a thing. Because at the time that we bought the plane tickets for this trip, Japan wasn't open yet. Japan was the last country, one of the last countries to open after COVID to tourism. Didn't open until October of 2022, and so we had plane tickets before then, and we're just hoping that by the time March came around, that the country would open again. Right. And luckily, it did. 
But remember what happened with our Airbnb once the country opened? Yes. The the day the country opened, I, the Airbnb reservations. So we made an Airbnb reservation the day it opened. And it was still priced at, you know, pandemic pricing where there were no mm-hmm. tourists. And so prices were depressed throughout Tokyo. Our, our reservation got canceled like, like eight hours after the country opened. And then the price of that unit doubled or tripled no i did at least tripled but they were like you're happy to rebook at our new rate at our new price yeah so we scrambled we found something um and so that's it, just like an example it's, it's like a changing environment and it's not just japan this is for like all travel there's all sure. kinds of this happened when i went to belgium you know dealing with covid requirements that are always changing regulatory requirements um i would say that the japan trip for us was the most involved planning trip i think so yeah i mean two kids one being a baby and traveling that long in a foreign land that we don't speak the language no worried about the food a little bit especially for the kids yes um so yeah there were a lot of issues so we have some bullet points that we took away that are pertinent i think to the points in miles community and how you do that but I will say we, we arrived there via Singapore Airlines, which is not an airline we were uh, never flown never before. Flown. And I, my, my guess is that the average American consumer has not flown Singapore Airlines. I, right. I think that their default when they look up airfare is American Airlines, United Airlines, Delta Airlines. Right. It's our domestic ones that fly international. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, Singapore Airlines flies are usually you know, a national airline would fly from Singapore to the United States. It, it, they don't usually allow these international airlines to fly to other countries, but there are a few exceptions. They're called Fifth Freedom Flights. And so we found this Singapore Airlines flight that flew from L.A. to Narita Airport in Tokyo. Booking that, we decided, we were, we're, we're, we are a Points of Miles podcast. We decided to go for extra comfort. Yes. Uh, and we booked business class seats. Four of them. Four Even of them. Even though the baby did not require an extra seat, the thought at the time was... He will sleep. He will sleep. <laughs> we can put him down and it'll get let us chill out and drink champagne and live the life in the air. Is that how it happened? No. <laughs> uh, what would you say the number of minutes that he sat in the... Uh, you know, uh, this we use points for this um, and, and I'll get into how we booked it with points, but... Uh, the cash rate for these seats were $6,500. Oh, seriously? Yeah, so he was sitting in a $6,500 seat. This that baby, uh, maybe... I felt bad too. On boarding, you know, business class goes in first. We get settled with like champagne. The baby was uh, sitting uh, in his, um, his... Business class seat. Business class seat. Just sitting there in like a... We had like a travel car seat that he was sitting in. And all these people are walking in. Americans from LA are walking in and be like, like double taking at this baby <laughs> as they walk back to the economy section, like nine seats across. Um, just oh, I forgot about that just, part. Just looking, just at scowling at him. Baby, <laughs> like I don't know if it made me. Yeah, actually, it made me feel good. Yeah, <laughs> it made me feel great. I think to answer your question, it was I, I'll give him twelve minutes. Twelve minutes. Yeah, he made it. Well, to, that's not true. He made it take off. He took off until you could get out of the seat. So yes, maybe sixteen minutes. <laughs> Right? Yeah. And did he return to the seat? No. <laughs> on landing, he did not sit in the seat. He sat no. in the lap. Um, yeah. Not a great use of resources. 
But this is what happens when you're a parent that's, you know, you're worried. Yeah. Um, the, the flight was very pleasant. And, and to get into specifics, I think we've talked on the podcast before about the value of transferable currencies, that being Chase, Saf- Chase points, Ultimate Rewards points, American Express membership rewards points. Um, we haven't talked about them, but Capital One has transferable points. City has transferable points. But specifically, American Express and Chase can be transferred to Singapore Airlines. So we've talked before, a lot of value, and so many people wind up using those transferable points basically as cash. They'll go to the Chase portal, and they'll look up a flight, and it'll pull up a a cash price for it, but it's really just translated into points at one cent per point. So for instance, these $6,500 tickets, if you book it that way, are going to be 650,000 points, I think, via that way. And that's not good value. The best way to get value out of those points is to transfer them into the foreign airline and work within that program. And that's daunting to a lot of people. Like, you're not familiar with all Nippon Airways. or Well, and once you move them, you can't move them back, right? Like Then you've parked them. You've parked them there. And that can be a problem. If you cancel the trip, you've got... 400,000 points stuck in Singapore Airlines, and it's uncertain if or when you'll go to Singapore. They only fly to so many places from the U.S., right? Right, and then they probably come with expiration. They do, and every program has different ones, and generally, you know, American Airlines at this point have mostly switched to no expiration on the miles. That is not the case with most foreign airlines. So you've now got this ticking clock on those, and so there's risk with that. Yeah. But for us, uh, this was the the easiest and and honestly the cheapest way to get us to Japan business class. Um, So for us, we, we transferred membership rewards points, which we'd accumulated over a million over the pandemic. I think we talked about this last episode. This was my big pandemic project was building up my membership rewards balance. So we transferred those over, bought four tickets one way. I'd say it was, it was luxurious. Yeah, it was fine. Yeah. Baby slept with me. I kind of slept, but he slept. So, yeah, winning. Uh, yeah, his um, and it was more comfortable. It was it was definitely a very comfortable flight. Certainly more comfortable. Uh, you know, just as a tip for people flying to Asia from the West Coast, uh, you don't want to sleep. Yeah, it's actually bad. This is how lost in translation happens: is you sleep, especially if you're in a business class seat. Like they do dim the lights, and it's difficult to stay awake. But um, just if, hold a baby. <laughs> yeah, just have a baby with you. <laughs> just, then you definitely won't just sleep. Just in general in life, if you're not interested in sleeping, <laughs> you should look into babies. Um, that you what you will do is read uh, books to them over and over. <laughs> um, so don't sleep. So yeah. that that was a difficulty for us is if because if you sleep, for instance, flying from LA, I, I want to say we took off at four or five p.m. Right. Um, and landed in Tokyo, and you cross the date line, so it's the next day. But you land, we landed at 8 o'clock p.m. Yes. And so had you slept on that flight, okay, well, you've just slept six hours, now you've landed, and it's 8 p.m. This is how people stay up all night when they right. land. You need to sleep for two hours, maybe, three hours, which which for us is is difficult. I, I, don't, I don't think our daughter, yeah. she slept a little more. Uh, the baby slept a little bit more. But it, it, with a baby, especially, it's easy to just be like, hey, the lights are out. Let's like, let's get him to sleep. And yeah. Let's kill the time. Let's kill the clock on the flight. But had we done that, we'd have a baby that was up all night. So mm-hmm. with a little discipline, we successfully we landed. We just gave him a long nap. Yeah. Gave Both him a long them. nap. 
killed killed some clock, right? Yeah. And but it did make the 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 flight certainly more stressful for the parents. Yeah. Right? There's a lot more time we need to fill with the baby. Yeah. In a um, very confined space. Yeah. And the other option, the easy option, is sitting right there to try to get him to sleep. So we did we successfully land. And by the time you get out of the airport, you clear customs, all of that stuff. Uh, it's like nine thirty. Yeah. Oh, but your tip on clearing customs. Yes. So especially during COVID, and this has been loosened since then, but in Japan, they made you get an app and you would have to upload all of your COVID vaccinations, your records, and then someone would actually review them and then give you this green on the app. Mm-hmm. And it didn't take very long to do it all. I mean, I had to be, it's laborious to, to upload everything and to be on top of it. The problem is when you get to the customs line, the average American has not done their research on this. And right, so they're scrambling to do this. it there in this, and like, so waiting room. Right, or they get to the desk, you know, the, the customs agent, and and they haven't done anything. Yeah. They're like, what? What app? Here's yeah. my passport. Right, they're like, back of the line. Yeah, and so the customs line, we walked into the customs hall and was like, oh, my God. And I had heard tales of two to three hours in customs and mm-hmm. landing at 8 o'clock p.m. with a one-and-a-half-year-old and a, and a, and a nine-year-old. Like, that's... Yeah, it's scary. That's scary. It's a scary room to walk into. Um, so knowing that knowledge, I I don't know if we've talked about Global Entry or Century or, or all of the trusted traveler programs. But you should but have them. You should have them. We have them. Uh, the important thing to know is that you have to have your kids in the program as well. I think we've talked about them because some of the cards have covered the cost of yes. them. So I think we've talked about them briefly, but it's, yeah. it's a must. It's a must. So my discovery was... A little-known program called the Asian Pacific Economic Cooperation Cooperative. You sound really certain that that's what the acronym. I know the APE part <laughs> is correct. I don't know about the C part. All right, APEC. But it's uh, it's linked in with the Trusted Traveler program. It's for business people that we travel throughout the Asian Pacific Rim, which includes Mexico, the U.S., Canada, and then the Asian countries. Um. It's more powerful if you're if you're a citizen of not America. You can actually get visas printed on the back of the card to make mm. that entry into other countries easier. For Americans, the only thing it does is it gives you access to the diplomatic line at customs. And so it required me to go do an additional interview. And luckily, we live in a place that's close to not just an airport registration office for Trusted Traveler. It's also, we have stuff at the border. Right? Yeah. And so, so there's a lot of facilities, CBP facilities here for it. Um, so I had to get an interview. I had to go down. I had to explain what business I conducted in Asia. And the agents approved me on, on the spot very quickly and then sent me a card. And so that And card, then your card covered the whole family. Yeah. I don't know if technically it should, but Japan was very uh, they were nice. accommodating to it. Yeah. And so we saw this two-hour line, and we just walked past it and went in the diplomatic line. And I think we had one person in front of us. Yes. So we were through customs in five minutes. It was glorious. It was worth the drive down to the border and the preparation. But I, this is like, I always bash going to Disneyland and Disney World because it's so much work to do it. Yeah. You have to be on the app. You have to plan for reservations. You have to uh, make dinner reservations. Like, there's all this work. With, there's all the skip-the-line options. and Yeah, and you need to be on top of that. And... And I bash that, but this trip and really travel in the world at this point is requiring that same level and attention to detail I've learned. Yeah. Um, so that's my tip. APEC. Very little known scheme. How long? Scheme. 
How long is your card valid? Five years. Huh. Yeah. I did try to use it in Mexico, and uh, at least the Cancun airport doesn't recognize it. Yeah. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to keep testing the... Yeah, test the testing. limits of it. Yeah. Um, okay. I So we're in Japan. Yeah, we've done it. We, we've landed. We're, we've made it to the hotel. Um, for us, we stayed at the Conrad Tokyo. It's a Hilton property. We've talked about my love for Hilton as a Hilton loyalist on this podcast before. It's um, a really nice hotel. Very nice hotel. Well located. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about it is, and we've talked about this, the best feature of Hilton credit cards is they give you elite status at least gold sometimes diamond depending on the level you do but you only need gold and if you get gold your entire family gets free breakfast at hotels and a lot of americans are like well i've been to like a hilton garden inn it's just like a terrible breakfast buffet with some cereal it is not that in japan yeah if you leave the country and i think we talked about this actually because we went to thailand and stayed at a conrad Mm -hmm. and had an extravagant buffet I found that outside of the U.S., even in like Frankfurt, Germany, at the airport hotel, there's a very really nice. excellent buffet. Um, but specifically, the Conrad Tokyo, the buffet is like sixty dollars. So we got two hundred forty dollars each night that we stayed for four mm-hmm. people to go eat at the at, at the buffet. And it's just like a nice dining experience. Uh, I like, had a lobster omelet delivered yes. to me with a lobster tail. <laughs> yeah, uh, just vast Japanese options, American options. Yeah a la carte options yeah because they had the buffet and then you also got to order off of a menu an additional item yeah it was nice it perched like 40 stories in the air overlooking tokyo Bay. yeah beautiful view just nice ambiance yeah and so w- one thing i think i found right now in the current environment is that it's real difficult to get business class airfare availability for points mm-hmm. and miles really difficult but what's not difficult i found is hotel availability and so in my mind, a lot of my attention has been diverted to accumulating and maximizing hotel points because those are getting outsized value right now. With all these people traveling, uh, the, the, the prices, like the cash prices of hotels have gone way up. Mm-hmm. Like what used to be $150, you'll find is like $300. Yeah. Um, this isn't even at like super nice hotels. This is at like your average Hampton Inn. Right. Like they're very expensive now. But the points costs have not changed. And if anything, the credit card companies have made it easier to earn those points. So that's really that's really where I'm seeing value. And, and at least with the Conrad Hotel, these rooms are marked at like twelve, thirteen hundred dollars per night. We got two rooms for the family of four. But didn't we have to? Wasn't that like an Asian yes. occupancy? It's rule? an occupancy thing. Um, and we'll get into that a little next because there's like we have a discussion of like hotels versus airbnb yeah um but yes we we had to get two rooms for each night we were there which multiplies the cost right oh that's twenty four hundred dollars of rooms that we need each night to stay at this hotel but by points by points free night certificates given with the credit cards specifically that for us the hilton um the american express hilton aspire card gives us an annual uh free night certificate at any hotel so for that credit card everyone worries about credit card fees okay well we cashed out the free certificate for twelve hundred dollars plus the breakfast plus the breakfast yeah it's like a fifteen hundred dollar gift certificate that they gave us right so that's that's the kind of value that we were looking to wring out of it um Aside from like how nice the hotel was, we realized that we couldn't stay in a hotel two nights, two rooms per night for five, six nights. So it brought us into like a discussion of 
maybe it'd be better if we stayed in an Airbnb. Um, Mrs. H.A., you brought up the uh, cruel cancellation of our first reservation. Yes. Um, that's always a risk with Airbnb, right? right? Is that either you have a flaky owner, there's a bunch of fees. Um, I just, in general, like, I mean, you could be in like a shady neighborhood. Like, you know, if you're going someplace you don't know, you have to now research that neighborhood. Are you getting a, a dumpy house or, you know? Yeah. Are so. you dealing with a, a management company? Right. With, with right. you know, generic descriptions or is it an, you know, an owner that actually cares? Right. Um, for us, we lucked into um, an Airbnb house, freestanding house. Yeah. In a swanky neighborhood. It uh, was really nice. Ebisu um, near... Oh, I don't remember the train. Hiru. Hiru was next to it. I don't remember the other one, though. It was between two trains, two train stations, so we could get on two different lines really easily, get to go anywhere we needed to go, and it was was a really nice house. Yeah, it was uh, owner-operated as an Airbnb. The owner met us, and she was English-speaking. She biked over, led us into the house. Yeah, and it had everything we needed. Yeah. So uh, that's one thing I'm finding, just in general in travel, and... We, we traveled to Europe before and found if you're traveling with more than three people at this point, I, I just default to Airbnb. Uh, I would much rather use points if I could. Sure. But it doesn't always meet the needs. Either there's legal requirements for fire, fire code stuff where you can't put four people in a hotel room or you just, it doesn't meet the requirements. Like we wouldn't have slept if we, if we were well, allowed like, to right, be in When the baby room. goes to sleep, everybody goes to sleep because you're yeah. in a hotel room. Like, yeah. yeah. We, we, we were able to step outside of that. Right. Baby had a room. We and could stay up. that made our life a lot easier. Yeah. Right? Um, the nine-year-old and us, we get some chill time without yeah. a baby crawling on us. So um, I, I think that's one thing we found is I, I always want to say like it's tra- people always say it's like travel for free if you're on points and miles. But there's a lot of situations where it makes sense to just use cash mm-hmm. for it. And in this case, we found an Airbnb priced before the boost from Japan opening mm-hmm. and locked it in. And we're lucky that we had a, a I don't know, honest owner. That yeah. Time. Um, okay. What would you say the highlights were of the trip? Um, I thought the baseball game was really cool. That was the Yakult Swallows versus the Hiroshima Carp. That was really fun. Um, just all the different neighborhoods in Tokyo. They're all very different, but being able to get like a little flavor of each I don't know. Are we going outside of Tokyo? You can. I mean, full disclosure, I think you were a little apprehensive. Sure. Tokyo. Yeah. You're not a fan of super massive, busy cities, no, right? Not, I do Did not. you enjoy Bangkok? Um, well, that was a sweaty mess, but <laughs> no, I, that's generally not my vibe. Yeah. I mean, Bangkok is the most chaotic, large city we've been to. Yeah. Probably, right? Yeah. I mean, New York City is civilized and orderly compared to Bangkok. Yes. Um, to what did you think of Tokyo? Well, Tokyo is like the cleanest place on earth. I, I think it's probably just like Japan in general, but I've never been to such a large city and never, never once saw a piece of trash. Like never once saw anything really like out of place. Like they take pride in like keeping everything beautiful. Which is crazy because it's a country that doesn't have trash cans. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's the There's other thing. No There's trash no trash cans. cans. And so everyone is forced to carry your own trash minimize waste mm-hmm. because you know that you have to carry it yeah home. you have to take it home with you yeah oh remember how there's no paper towels no paper towels you go in like a public restroom and there's no paper towels everybody brings their own like Towel. cute little washcloth yeah. that they dry their hands on which we bought while we were there because that's what they do yeah 
Well, so you had, ex- I mean, we did what most travelers do. We watched YouTube videos before we left. Sure. We watched uh, Eugene Levy's uh, oh, Apple that TV episode. show on Tokyo. I can't remember what it's called. And I watched Bourdain you know, yeah. doing Tokyo. Like, But rest assured, any video on Tokyo is going to show Shibuya Crossing, which right. is the busiest street crossing in the world. You know, in like a Times Square environment, surrounded by bright lights and signs. My guess is your expectation was Tokyo would look like that. I thought we would lose both of our children in the sea of people, but it was actually like the most like orderly, busiest crossing ever. But just as far as like busyness, like it is busy there. Oh right? yeah, there's there's so many people there, and I think that the average traveler expects all of Tokyo to be like that. You know, like a twenty by twenty square mile Shibuya oh, okay. crossing. Yeah. It's not like I that. Found, like, so, so the Airbnb we stayed at in Ebisu was, was two really train quiet. stops from Shibuya. It's basically a, a, a outer, just a, not even outer. It's, it's a, it's, it's a just part like a, of Shibuya. Yeah, like, but it's like a pocket of quiet. But when you get off the train, and we walked, I don't know, a kilometer to the mm-hmm. house, I, I didn't even see cars. No, I like barely saw people. Yeah. It was quiet, and, and it's like a world away from it, which is probably why that neighborhood is so expensive. Sure. But... I definitely thought that there would be, like, loud music, loud lights, loud everything, like, right. all day, all night, and it was not that. It was a normal place where normal people live, right? Mm-hmm. They go to work, and they come home, they mm-hmm. go to a restaurant, like, it was just a normal place, I thought. Yeah. Quieter than Washington, D.C. For sure. Quieter than New York, quieter than downtown San Diego, yeah. for sure. So, uh... I think I think that was the thing I took away from Tokyo. Like, I'd been there before, but I didn't have as much time to explore the city as this time. And so I really liked these pockets of quiet that we found. I think there needs to be, like, a huge shout-out for, like, just the people of Japan. They are the most welcoming, like, culture I think I've ever experienced. Like, we don't speak Japanese. We have, you know, we learned a handful of phrases and can say thank you and the basics, but cannot read katakana no not at all um but people like go out of their way to try to help you like we weren't even asking for help we we would just like for like maybe a split second look like we needed help and someone would rush over and be like how can i help you you know where are you trying to go what do you want to do and oftentimes people would be like okay well don't get on the train you're about to get on it would be faster if you went another way and it was just it was just so nice well, it, that's the first thing I usually get asked when I tell people we went to Japan. It's like, were you able to get by without the language? Like, yeah. How, well, how that's the other thing that was like super signs. accommodating is like, you think about like the trains and like the signs in the US, they're in English only. In Japan, they're in Japanese. And then there's another level that's in another language. And eventually you get down to English. But this is for every sign. Yeah. Like, like they... Like in train stations. They're accommodating. Like, we're not accommodating. No. We're like, why don't we speak American? Right. In uh, Japan, yeah, like the, the subway machines. Yeah. Could be confusing, but, but there's they like, have like can, 12 languages. Yes, you just click a button and it translates it into whatever you yeah. need it to be. It's like so easy. Yeah. And and like you said, there there were helpers. Yeah. Like, not paid. It's not a scam. No. If, we, if I was in Paris, I'd be like, what are you trying to do? Like, yeah. Is someone about to pick my pocket behind right. me? Right. No, no, no. But in Japan, it's like, wait, you're... You're honestly helpful. Yes. You you want me to have a good time yes. here and enjoy myself, which was a little unexpected because Japan does get um, a reputation of being xenophobic a little bit. Mm. They're very insular, you know, they're wary of foreigners historically. So <coughs> it's, I thought it was great. 
very yeah. nice and, and made us as you know slightly nervous travelers there yeah more at ease oh it was so great uh the one other highlight i would add is we spent one night in osaka it was brief uh in my head when i planned the idea of going to osaka i i had in my head like we'll go to dotenbori which is this famous river walk with lights another like times square-ish looking place with food and crab and takoyaki but uh mrs ha suggested the osaka aquarium best decision ever yeah i i would have it's it is jaw dropping i don't think i think that we've we peaked too soon. Like, I don't know that we can ever go to another aquarium no, and, it and other think aquariums. that it's even kind of cool. Well, and so I wouldn't have gone if it was me traveling alone. Yeah. And so I was so happy that you suggested it because it was, it, it's the best aquarium I've ever been to. Yeah. I've not been to the Atlanta Aquarium, so I can't speak to that, but it's better it, than it's the Monterey better. Aquarium. It's, better, it's than better than the Long Beach Aquarium in the Pacific. It's better than every other aquarium I've ever been to. Yeah, it's really, really the, cool. The scale, the size, uh, it's it's amazing. So The way that they designed it is honestly the most clever because it's a super tall building and the whole entire center of it is one tank. And then outside, you're like just walking down a ramp and there is stuff on like the outside of the building, but the main attraction is that middle, which you get to see from like 10 different levels as you walk down. Yes. And and each level, it's not just it doesn't feel like you're looking at the same tank. No, it, it has different features and, and it's, it's almost like, like they have like an entire like, like entire ecosystem in there, and you see it at different levels, like yeah. what lives at different depths and what plays and hangs out together. And yeah, it yeah. wasn't just a gimmick to explain no. what they had. I, honestly, when you walk up to it, it looks like a, an arena, like a sports mm-hmm. arena of some kind. It's like it's huge. Um, train service was easy. It was like. A, uh, we took a cab, and I we took a cab there. I actually regretted it. The train was would have been much faster. Yeah, um, the train ride home was a breeze. Yeah, a breeze. Uh, Osaka was the, the thing that's amazing about Japan is you have these secondary cities. Everyone thinks of Tokyo, and that's mm-hmm. the largest mega metropolis in the world, and it looks like it when you fly in, right? It's sure. nothing but high rises for as far as you can see. <coughs> you go to Osaka, and you're like, wait a second, Osaka's like 19 million people. That's like two New York cities. Yeah. I mean, it looks like it when you're coming in on the train. Like, you see it. But if you ask the average American, they're like, oh, Osaka. What is that? Like, uh, I don't know, like Seattle or something. Okay. Like, I I just don't think people understand the scale of these cities. Yeah. Compared to American cities. You start going into, like, secondary cities like Hiroshima or uh, even, like, I don't know, Fukuoka. These cities that most Americans would have never heard of. Mm Mm-hmm. There's like 5 million people, 6 million people. Houston, Houston, Texas sized, yeah. right? The third or fourth biggest city in America. And in, in Japan, they're just cities no one's ever heard of. Yeah. It, it's crazy. To, N- Nagoya. Well, no one in America. N- Nagoya. Like, no one's, no one, if you ask the average American, they wouldn't know it. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know. Looking out from the Conrad Osaka, booked with Hilton uh, free night certificates again. Again, great breakfast. Also like $1,100 for the room and a great breakfast. And oh, and that room was huge. That was a big room. That room was like an apartment. Well located also. Mm-hmm. Um, that. So <laughs> I'm going to reiterate it. We've talked about, we have a Hilton episode. Most of the advice in that still, still exists. Um, Hilton points are very easy to accumulate quickly. And you got to get gold status. If you can mm-hmm. get up to gold status, which you can get with the surpass card, uh, 
or the business gold card, or sorry, the business Hilton card, um, you're you're great. You got free free breakfast for your family. Like, mm-hmm. That's a huge thing. Um, the Aspire card, I'll still push that. That's it has a high annual fee, but it's got a it's got a free night certificate. Yeah, there's like and en- if you just use it wisely for it. Yeah, don't use it at your local Hilton Garden. No, Inn, right. Um, I will add the other thing, and I don't know if we got into super details on this, but I, I was advising one of my coworkers who has a Hilton Aspire card. There's an airline credit on it. This actually applies to like a American Express Platinum card. They give you this quote unquote airline incidental credit. It's like two hundred dollars. Sometimes it's two hundred fifty dollars, depending on the card. It's supposed to be for like baggage or like uh, Wi-Fi on the plane, like you know something yeah. extra. What I've found as a, as a frequent Southwest flyer is, and so so I have Southwest registered for my incidental credit. You have to choose an airline that you use it on. Mm-hmm. The algorithm that American Express uses for it thinks that any Southwest purchase under a hundred dollars is a quote unquote incidental uh, charge. Oh right. <laughs> and we, as we've talked about, Southwest is fully refundable if you buy the correct ticket. Um, so uh, fully refundable back to flight credit. I should say. Yeah. So you're not going to get cash back. But if you fly Southwest frequently like we do, that's same as cash for me. Mm-hmm. So what I do is I, I buy tickets to like Las Vegas or Phoenix, something short yeah. that they fly 12 flights a day. Mm-hmm. I get a one way that is as close to $100 as possible. And for me, I actually choose the one. There's one to get away, which is the very cheapest rate. There's one to get away plus, which uh, for Las Vegas and Phoenix, you can find rates that are under $100. So I'll buy that. I'll let it sit for two or three days until it's ticketed with Southwest. And the credit shows up with American Express. Because they'll they'll give it to you. Autom- like the computers automatically do it when they see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I cancel the flight. And I take that flight credit and put it into my travel bank. And then I do it again and buy, it, buy another $100 one to get up to my $200 that I get per year. Mm-hmm. If it's a 50 then I get another $49 flight to Las Vegas or something and cancel yeah. it. So for me, that turns that $450 annual fee really into like $200. Because mm-hmm. to me, $250 Southwest credit is that same as cash. Yeah, we're going to use it. We're going to use it. We live in, a, you know, we live in a, a, a city that's captive to Southwest. Yeah. I know that's not the case for everyone. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of points in miles is finding what works for you where you live. We don't have a ton of Delta flights. We don't have JetBlue. We don't have, you know, a lot of these airlines. We have Southwest. So for us, that works. I will say the same method works for United, United Travel Banks. You can cancel the flights in the same way. Uh, it's a little more complicated, but Southwest. Like you may have to call or? No, 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 no. It's, it's not even more complicated. It's the same method. Okay. There's just, a, there's a lot of ways to liquidate. And we've talked about it on the podcast before, but. Annual fees are scary to people, right? If right. you tell them it's $450, they're like, oh, well, I learned. Yeah, I'm not doing that. I learned to have $0 annual fees. It's just mm-hmm. wasting money. Yeah, there's plenty, of, there's plenty of products out there that are $0. Yeah, and I know I'm, I'm highlighting the Hilton Aspire card here from American Express, but like this is the case with anything with annual fees. There's ways mm-hmm. to recoup it. You look at what you get for the money and you tabulate what the value is, like mm-hmm. any consumer does for any purchase. But like, right. just look at this. This isn't even capturing all of it, but just from this $450 Hilton card, we're getting $250 of Southwest credit back, mm-hmm. same as cash to use, no expiration date. Uh, oh, the reason I use One to Getaway Plus is because you can transfer that credit to someone else, too. Usually with like Southwest credit, you have to use it for yourself. 
Mm. So want to get away plus gives me the flexibility to then transfer it to Mrs. HJ for a flight she's taking if needed. If needed, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's 250 bucks. That's lowering the effective rate down to $200. And we still get the... And we're getting a free night certificate every year, which... Which we maximize the value. I do my value. best to, to, to maximize the value. You know, even in the last year, we found... We had one sitting around. We'd already taken the Japanese trip. We didn't have anything, you know... We didn't have a Waldorf Astoria abroad to go to, right? To use it for maximum value. So I just looked up what's close by. And there's like a Waldorf Astoria monarch beach in orange county oh yeah i just used it for a, a staycation yeah thousand dollars a night for that hotel yeah we did not belong upgraded with our diamond status to like this fire table spot room spa room yeah with, like room with a uh, view and then we just used it for one night we went to the pool we yeah. uh had a good oh, time wait, that card also has uh that food credit oh that a hilton was... resort credit of two hundred dollars which you can just use on a, at any Hilton resort, which is qualified as. You get $200 for food. So we, we went to the restaurant and had a free dinner also. Well. Well, we <laughs> had a lot of cocktails. <laughs> Food's expensive. I'm not going to lie to Waldorf Astoria in Orange County. Yeah. But this was like, this is the freedom that you get. I mean, it's money we wouldn't have spent. So I, I understand from an economic standpoint, that might not be a, me- a net bonus for someone. But it was a pleasant experience for us. And I yeah. was able to cash out that $200 of food credit. It was that a great staycation. Can- that kind of cancels out the fee. And it's yeah, just, oh, for sure. It's a little work, right? Because you don't want to let them expire. But And it's another thing to think about. But I think for us, it was... It's kind of yeah, what I'm going back to. if you love to travel this, like, and like, you, I don't know, spend the time to to track this stuff, like you can make it work. Yeah. And, and who... Really reap the benefits I, I of the cards. Hear, I was here like, it sounds like a lot of work. And I'm like, okay, but it, we're talking like, I don't know, 15... How much total in value for this? For $450, you're buying yourself $1,700. Easy. Right. Are you telling me, like, if you went to the average person and were like, hey, you're going to clear $1,350 on this deal, it's going to require, you know, a couple hours over the next year. Yeah, I think your hourly rate's pretty good. Wouldn't you be like, "Uh, yeah, like, sign me up. Right. But I always hear, like, so much work. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know. The value's there. It, to me, it seems like a great deal. And it comes back to what I was saying. I, I think the real value right now is in hotels. Yeah. Points. Um, speaking of that, the current points environment, it's a little weird right now with, with COVID. We, we touched on it. There's limited availability of premium class flights. They're yeah. very difficult or priced highly. I just think there's less flights going out. Yeah, limited routes. I mean, for us specifically, even even talking Southwest, ignoring premium routes. We used to have direct flights to Portland, Seattle, Spokane, um, additional ones, Orlando. I'm sure there were way more than that. Yeah, like Portland, we used to have like five direct flights a day. There's zero now. Yeah. Seattle, there's one direct flight. There used to be six or seven. Well, now we know there's only one direct to Houston. Right. Yeah, one to Houston. There used to be multiple. Mm -hmm. Um, The airlines are are parking planes. They're sitting there, and they still have an reopened routes after COVID. I think they're enjoying that they've jacked up prices and are running less planes. And for them, their profitability has gone up quite a bit in the last year or so. They're trying to make up for COVID. Um, And so limited availability, especially for business class, that that's how this whole points of miles game was sold to people, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's your chance to fly business class, which you could never afford to before. And what 
airlines have done is they've linked a lot of those prices, especially United, American, Delta, to the pr- cash price. Mm-hmm. It, it's like a tricky thing they've done. They, they've allotted like four seats maybe at the lowest level. Saver level is what they call it. Everything beyond that gets pegged to what the cash price is. So uh, on our way home from Japan, we, we had United flights. Um, I was only able to get two business class seats at, at a low price. And so I was going to put two of our party in there and I was going to fly in economy with the baby. You're such a nice guy. I know. I know. <laughs> and then at the end, uh, like three days before, we were like, just fly business class. It's 200,000 points for that to, to switch to it one way. Mm-hmm. That's the lowest it's been. And, and honestly, as research for research purposes, I had tracked that flight for months beforehand and it never went below 200,000. I'm looking now. I've been looking now for the past few months. 200,000. That's the base rate for a one-way flight in business class on a United airplane to Tokyo. Which doesn't have the ability to like transfer chase points or something into theirs and and do like what we did with Singapore. Oh, you can. You can. You you can transfer it. But that was the equation that we came that we were faced with. I could pay 200,000 to United. I could transfer chase points into United at 200,000 per ticket one way. Mm-hmm. Or I could transfer it into Singapore for a hundred, hundred and ten thousand, I think, mm. for a one way on a Singapore Airlines flight, which is better, a better experience. Yeah, that that's why it's it's like a good idea not to just fall into the rut of using the American Airlines. Yeah. Um. So a lot of this, a lot of the environment <laughs> right now is, is kind of anti-consumer in that, it, but it's being driven by high demand, and the airlines know it, and they're making money. Um, so as far as for the points and miles environment, I, I would say it's very difficult right now to, to, it's harder. to, to do what was advertised a few yeah. years ago, yeah. right? Um, there's a real need to be flexible. Um, and it goes back to something we mentioned earlier, flexible points currencies, like ultimate rewards and membership rewards, they're more yeah. valuable than ever right now. Um, a lot of people are live in Atlanta or Minneapolis or the East coast, Southeast where Delta has a lot of power. Um, a lot of flights. Delta just keeps devaluing their miles over and over. And so at this point, you can't even use Delta miles to, to go abroad in, in business class. It, it's literally in the millions for a one-way flight. So had you just accumulated Delta miles with a Delta card, you're you're kind of screwed. Yeah. There's not much I mean, left unless you, for you fly it often and you have status. Like, wouldn't that help? Not for international flights. They're selling them all. That's the thing. That's oh, why wow. there's no availability. They're flying one flight to Paris now instead of five. And that business class cabin is filled with people paying cash for it. Mm. Interesting. Um, and so flexible currencies are more valuable than ever. And for us, you know, I think for our strategy has been to keep accumulating membership mm-hmm. rewards, keep accumulating chase ultimate rewards yeah. and being flexible in how we look at it. Right. Um, the other thing we found is, and I mentioned Delta, um, it's time to start thinking outside the box. And, and sometimes that means just taking an economy flight. <laughs> I know that's, <laughs> that's against my nature to, to be sitting in steerage, but I, right now that's where the value is. And I'll, I, I've been advising a coworker on how to get to Japan also. And, I, I keep looking and there, there's no business class. There's no affordable business class, right? It would take, uh, for a family of three, it's going to take... It would take years uh, to accumulate, right? 
I don't know, 1.2 million points wow. to, to, to do a round trip right now in business class using American Airlines points or United points. It's crazy. Um, meanwhile, all the economy availability is there. And it, it actually used to be difficult to find economy availability sometimes at the lowest rate. But you can still fly to Tokyo for 40,000 American Airlines points. It's, nice. it's pretty good value. Yeah. Um, in, in your case, you were going to a... a one of the best parts of points is when you fly to a obscure location. obscure location with few flights, especially if it's a luxury location yeah. where they know they can charge high rates. Mm-hmm. But you planned a trip to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, right? Mm-hmm. And a famous um, you know, resort town, small airport. Yep. Few flights. Very few flights. And we were faced with, do we spend cash or do we use points on this? Mm-hmm. And we had some Delta points from over the years we don't fly delta very often no it's not big out of our city but for some reason they fly a flight to jackson hole and in economy i think we found incredible value for you guys yeah it was fine uh, were you okay i don't know i we did have like a two-hour layover were you able to fit in the seats was it fine yeah. in economy yeah no yeah. food <laughs> we, we brought snacks did they have champagne no it's a short flight though i hope you guys were okay yeah, we survived um, so I know it's against our, our creed, but it might be worth it to look at economy. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's, there's actually great availability and great value right now in it. Yeah. I don't think I would have been super thrilled about it if it was a 11 hour overseas flight. Was but... it that bad flying back from Frankfurt in economy? No, I think it's fine. We flew to Thailand in economy. Yeah. It's fine. Oh, we didn't have a baby either. <laughs> Uh, my other advice in the current points environment is keep building up your balances. Like I, I, I mentioned my coworker. The problem is a lot of times there's, there's, you find a deal, right? Like someone canceled their ticket and this 60,000 flight came up to Tokyo, but you don't already have the points. It, it's better to, to build up these balances while you can in things that you're likely to use in the future and, um, be ready to strike. Usually, like, like the points, they don't accrue interest. They usually go down in value. They get devalued. It's not a good idea to hold on to millions of points. But I would say in today's environment, it probably makes sense to have enough for one trip, I would say. Yeah. In the different currencies. Because you want to be able to jump at a price if you have it. Well, and I also think that, like, as a family, we plan out our travel pretty far in advance so that then when those opportunities arise we're like oh this meets that need for yeah. that flight or that trip or whatever well and, and in america at least the american airlines covid has led to super flexible policies and when you see a good deal you just book it because they've made it so easy to cancel those flights there's no or penalty it, right? for canceling like, or changing yeah if you see a good rate and you're not even sure if your family can go you should buy it because you can just cancel it later uh, but you should lock in that price if you can. And you can't do that unless you're sitting on those points already. Yeah. I, I do speculative bookings all the time. And they get canceled. And we yeah. move on and we find a better date. But at least we have that option. Yeah. And there's no penalty anymore. It used to be you had to have the highest elite status or you had to pay a, a cancellation fee. Yeah, I remember the fees. Or, and a redeposit fee for your right. miles. It was very expensive to do this. And now it's just a free-for-all. And it's... It's you know it's not to say there's like that COVID was a blessing, but no. for Miles' purposes, like this has actually been a huge blessing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the only 
other thing we have is we have an entire episode on the Southwest Companion Pass. But it is now October right now, which I like to call Southwest Companion Pass season. <laughs> it's on the calendar there, right? It's, I wrote it. I, t- I scribbled out October and wrote <laughs> Companion Pass season. Yep. Yep. This is how we, this is I can't we wait start. till Companion Pass season 31st when we, when <laughs> we can dress up in costumes. Right? Yes. Uh so just as a refresher, most of most of the information is the same. The idea is the same. But the companion pass for us, and like we said, people's requirements, needs are all different. But for us living in a southwest city, a companion pass has been a boon for our travel. Mm-hmm. Um, the companion pass allows us to book a ticket with cash or points and add a companion to it for free. So if well, I you have to pay like ten dollars uh, taxes you have to pay taxes the, the government always gets their cut <laughs> uh but if we fly to cabo which is an expensive ticket mm-hmm. i can use points to book that and then i can attach one of our children as a companion and they fly free yep i if we ever someday get a chance to go on a trip on our own <laughs> you could be my companion stay 18 more I years know. uh so for us, it's it's one of our most important travel and points assets. Right. Um, it takes a whole... huge weight off of us when we're like thinking about where we're going to go because we know that the kids fly free. Yeah. Which is huge. Yes. Just psychologically. Yes. Like... Yeah. I mean, that's a, a that's a, a big a big win for us. Yeah. So it is companion pass season. And I say that because the way the companion pass works, and this has been revised from our original episode that's gone up. You now have to accrue 135,000 miles in one calendar year. The trick is that is to key in on the phrase one calendar year. So credit card bonuses, sign-up bonuses, count towards that 135,000. And so generally, all of the offers allow you three months to hit the bonus. Um, if you were to sign up today in early October, your final statement for the three-month period would clear in the beginning of January, 2024. Which is the calendar year. Which is the beginning of the calendar year. Mm-hmm. So uh, you get the companion pass for the remainder of the calendar year that you earn it in, as well as the following calendar year. So were you to sign up for two Southwest cards, and I have the current offers here, the Southwest Performance Business Card is offering 80,000 miles, for $5,000 in spend over the next three months. And the Southwest Plus card is offering 50,000 miles for $1,000 in spend. So it's the holiday season. People have holiday travel. There's expenses. It's a good time to meet those minimums right mm-hmm. now. And so for $6,000 in spending over three months, $2,000 per month, you can earn over 135,000 miles with that, including the spending. Mm-hmm. And so you would earn that companion pass in January of 2024, all of 2024, and for 2025, mm-hmm. like 23 months of coverage. And so that's why it's Southwest Companion Pass season, because it's the time to maximize it. Mm-hmm. Um, the trick is you need to hit the, for instance, let's say the performance business card, the $5,000. You can spend... I don't know, $4,999 in the first and second months, but you need to hit the 5,000 points in the third statement period. It has to be in January. You want the bonus to post like in that January. monthly statement needs yeah. to clear in January. Yeah, right. The third statement, you're good. 
If it, if you hit the bonus in the second statement, you screwed up. Yeah. It won't work. So it's critical that you do all your spending in December doing holiday shopping. But if you do that, there's an incredible payoff. And I'd say that our family, at least over the years, has, has gained thousands and thousands of dollars from it. Maybe $10,000 at this point. Yeah. From this this method. Um, it's not for everyone, but it works for us. And like we said, there's no one-size-fits-all solutions in miles and points. If you live in, I don't know, Minneapolis. <laughs> you love talking about well, Minneapolis. Well, it's, it's a Delta hub. <laughs> it's where Delta is. You probably want to get a ton of Delta miles and fly sure. economy around the country. With no, them, but they're right? devaluing them. Stop. But economy. Economy still has value. Right. Only economy. Um, so that's our assignment right now. We're going to do it again. We, I curr- the season. I currently have one. Mine expires after next year, and I have our youngest as my companion. So if you get it, when you get it, mm-hmm. our daughter, yours is, you, you currently have one, and it's expiring at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. You cancel the card after the first year, and you do it again. Mm-hmm. You just do this every two years. Yep. So once you get yours, we'll be back to full family coverage of you having our daughter. I'll have our son. And I love we'll it. only need to buy two tickets anytime we fly with the full family. Honestly, it's been great even with a baby under two who d- is not required to have a seat, but but I can just tack him on as a companion and we get extra room on the flight mm-hmm. for a seat, a, a seat for him. So yes. that's been a, a lifesaver. Yes, for him, yes. Yeah. So that is our assignment. All right. Does that mean we're not podcasting until January or <laughs> is that how this works? Sure. I mean, we do have travel in the interim. We've got travel on the We horizon, could do another so. one of them on the other trips that we've done. I guess we could. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Um, we said that last time also. <laughs> I'm sure we made promises last time that we definitely broke. No, we're real promise breakers. For um, our tens of listeners. <laughs> literally tens. I don't know. That could be that could be an exaggeration at this point. I know. Uh, it's just our family now. <laughs> yeah. That's life. <laughs> Uh, we do have travel coming up uh, that we could talk about. We'll see. It's all Southwest related. We're making full use of the companion pass, saving thousands of dollars on it. But we'll, we'll give a recap of that travel and how we did it using points and miles. Sounds um, good. We could do that one. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah. Fine. Fine. All right. Mrs. H.A., we've said it all here. <laughs> do we no. have anything else for this episode? I don't think Look, so. We've traveled the world. We've taken our children to Asia. We've... Uh, Visited Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Traveled the... Honestly, our, we, we're going where we want to go. We're going where we want to go. We have freedom to do whatever we want to do without being hindered by economics and money. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. That's the whole point, right? Mm-hmm. It's not always about sitting in a business class seat. It's nope. really about freedom and the ability to go places, right? Yeah. That's what it's all about. I love it. Yeah. That's what the podcast is all about. <laughs> so... For another episode of Making a Points Millionaire, uh, I'm Harold James Preller. And for Mrs. H.J., uh, we're happy to have you guys as listeners. (laughs) 